Open up your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, the 10th chapter, and we're going to talk, and I titled this Marriage Matters, or and you can interpret that how you will, meaning marriage does matter, or the matters of marriage. So marriage matters, and we're going to look at some different things, whether you're single or married or somewhere in between. God has counsel for these things. Are you with me? And, and uh, marriage is, is a huge thing with the Lord. I mean, it is a big thing. I know in society today it's not a big thing. Or it has been twisted from what God had really wanted and his design for it. And people have gotten all different kinds of images about marriage. Uh, if you don't know... It doesn't take long to watch TV, hear a song, uh, hear people talk, and there's all different kinds of ideas. But marriage is God's design. He, he has a design, and when he designs things, he has you know a way that they are to operate. When he designed the universe, he, there's a way it operates. And when it doesn't operate the way it's supposed to, uh, things happen in not a good way. In other words, if you just move the earth closer to the sun, it's not a good program, right? You move the, the you know, different planets, you just move the moon and uh, it causes chaos. Why? Because in his creation, there is design to things. And he has a design for marriage, or if you want to get married, or you are married, there is a design. And God uh, wants marriage to last. And here's a thought, he wants it good. When he created the earth, the first day after he spoke and made things, it says it was good. And after he did something else, he said it was good. And then the third day, what he did was good. The fourth day, it was good. When he made man, it was very good. When he looked at all of it that he had done, he said it was good. And guess what? God made marriage. So he thinks it's a good thing. Are you with me? And there's much you could say. God thinks marriage is good when it's one man and one woman. And you were born that way. That's not to knock anybody. It's not to be mean toward people. Because some people say, well, that's just hate speech. No, it's not hate speech. It's actually love speech. Now, people may not understand that, but it, it truly is love. Uh, you know, if, if you, know, you get a brand new car and you go to put water in the gas tank because it was starting to run low, if I say, oh, no, gas belongs there, you're like, you're just a hate. You hate. No, it's just the way the car was created. And there's a greater one than the creator of human things, and he is God. And so it's not being hateful. It's being helpful. It's not being spiteful, you know. And, and if you say some things in today's age, the first words that come out of people's mouth is your prejudice, you hate. And, and it's almost like to get people to change their belief. But but we can't do that. We still have to love people. And, and just because there are people that talk like that, um, it shouldn't move us. 
Okay, if you can't say amen, say oh me, because it's still true. Because we're going to hear people that are going to talk like that. Oh, they just hate. No, no, not at all. No, we love. And, and when things are according to order and design, they work out better. They're more healthy. And, and there is order to this thing that God calls marriage. And it's really one of the first covenants that God made is marriage. Are you with me? And so Mark, the sixth chapter. Remember when Jesus came to the earth, he only spoke and said what he heard from his father. And so what Jesus conveys to us, we can know he's conveying the heart of God. And so when he was speaking here, he put such an emphasis on the union of marriage. I mean, it's amazing some of the things he said. And you can just, people may just read over them and miss out on what he's saying. But he, he put huge emphasis and we're going to jump right into the middle and uh, so you can go back and look at these things later if you want but Mark 10 verse 6 says uh, but from the beginning of the creation God made them male and female for this reason for this reason for this reason Notice what he said. He made a male with male parts and a female with female parts. And he said, for this reason, for this reason, this is the reason for marriage. You with me? Remember when God created mankind at the beginning he made Adam and he said it's not good for him to be alone and so he fell asleep he and God took something out of him and, and created woman and then there were two parts that needed to become connected and become one this is huge the statement of one when it comes to marriage is a massive statement and it may seem odd to just use that word one, but God uses it. Notice he said, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female for this reason, because there's two parts to marriage, male and female. He said, man shall leave his father and his mother You heard that, right? You got to leave. <laughs> leave. You got to leave. You leave. They don't have to throw you out. You just leave. And leave his father and mother and be joined. Literally, the King James says, cleave to his wife. So you've got a male part connecting to a female part. This is the reason for marriage. This is what marriage looks like from God's standpoint. And notice what he said, and the two shall become one flesh. That's an interesting statement. Two becoming one. Two becoming one. Two becoming one. So marriage is really 
one, but it's made up of two. So when you think of one, you don't think of two. Do you? Some of you are not, haven't got this yet. So if I think, think of like this is one, I'm not thinking two. But it does have multiple pages that make up the one. And when it talks about marriage, he said there's two, a male and a female, that make up the one. That's huge. He didn't say it makes up two. That's big. It may not be big to people, but it's big to God because he goes on to say, and he said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined or cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two. They're no longer two. They're no longer two. So when you look at a married person, you need to recognize that you see an individual, but really uh, two individuals, but they're really one in, in God and in the flesh. I don't think that the world has realized this, and maybe we as the church need to emphasize this more, that uh, they're one. They're one. They're interwoven in such a way. When you talk about one, you're talking about the absence of two. It's hard to separate things that are one. And it goes on to say, verse 9, Therefore what God has joined together, and notice how He joined he joined them as one in the flesh. So it has to do not just spiritually. Now we're, when we get saved, the Bible said we become one in the Lord. And one not just with the Lord. It says we become one. It means the absence of another. You could say it like this. When you get saved, there's the absence of your old self because it said we were crucified with Christ. And he said, it's not I who live, but Christ lives in me. So there is uh, two separate beings that make up one now. That is seen in the Bible when the early church was persecuted and they were being attacked and here comes the enemy, and it happens to be this guy named Saul, and he's putting people in prison for their faith, and all this stuff is happening. And then the Lord appears to him, and he said, Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Why are you, you know, it's a spiky thing that, you know, you poke to move an animal and has a little hook. And back then they didn't wear boots. So he's talking about like a guy with sandals kicking this metal thing. He said, it's hard for a person to do this. And he said, why are you persecuting me? But he had never attacked Jesus physically because Jesus was in heaven. But Jesus looked at the church and said, we're one. And he didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? No, because there was such a union of one, he counted it as inseparable. And when he brought this correction, he said to him, why are you persecuting me? 
uh, no, I'm not, Jesus. If I'd have known I'm not persecuting you, it's these, these Christians. No, think how strong of a one that is. So when he talks about marriage of a man and a woman becoming one, these are reference points of what one looks like. So really how somebody treats someone else's husband or wife, you're treating the one. The one. The whole. The thought would be then how one treats their spouse truly will affect your own self. That went over well. How you treat your spouse affects you. Because you are interwoven and have become one. So you do good to your spouse, you're doing good to yourself. You're benefiting yourself. I thought there would be more amens by now, but we'll just, we'll just keep reading. Therefore, verse 9, what God has joined together. Notice this is a dynamic work that God does. But who does he do this with? A man and a woman in the act of marriage. He said, let not man separate. Notice God's putting together who is the one that you have to watch out for in separating. The human. The human. It's the human element. You don't have to say, oh God, you know, whatever... No, he's for marriage. He puts together. Man is the one. That means that a person who's going to get married or a person who is in marriage, in a marriage covenant, has to work on themselves. Everybody who's single should have said, Amen, yeah, talk to them. But notice, God joined which is the same word cleave, it literally means to, you know, you've you got to be determined if you're going to cleave. means to glue, literally, or adhere, or to join, or to stick. So if you're going to cleave in marriage, that means you're going to stick, and stick with it, and you're going to be determined. And you're going to recognize the devil can't separate this thing. It's more on a human standard or a human level that that happens. And it's interesting. He said, God is for the marriage covenant. And it works better when both are working to cleave. I mean, if you've got both people holding on, it, it's a lot better than just one person doing it. That would make sense, wouldn't it? And so the object of this is, is the Lord basically tells married people both need to do their part. That doesn't always happen. So what, what does it look like? What can we do to help marriages, our own marriage? What can we do from a Jesus perspective and, and if we do this, now everybody can do this in their life and it will have an effect on their life. But this really has an effect on marriage. It is First, you have to put the Lord first. 
You have to put the Lord first. That means he's the highest priority of the individual. Now, it's not me telling my spouse to put the Lord first. It's me doing it. It's your responsibility to put him first. And if he's the highest priority, then the person who puts him as the highest priority or first, then that individual is not the highest priority. That helps immensely. Why does it help? Because when you put him as the priority, your spouse puts him as the priority or any individual, then what it does is it causes a certain direction in life. And why is that important? Because you have the same purposes, you have the same priority, you have the same authority, God, and when you're going the same way, you don't have friction or less friction. But when you're going different ways, then in order to go with somebody and one's going this way and you're going this way, there will be friction, there will be rubbing. And in marriage, there's already some of that. People are acting super innocent. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? But hey, if we're like two hands and you put them together and you go like this, there's not the friction that if you're going like this and going a different way. And so when you put the Lord as your priority, truly there becomes a trickle-down effect. Because one, you're going to be pliable to Him. the truth. If he really is first in our life, no matter who it is, I'm going to be pliable with him. I'm going to be going a certain direction. His priorities become my priorities. It's not me being the priority of life. But how many people get into marriage and they become the priority of life? They don't do this for me. They don't do this for me. He used to, she used to. But now he doesn't or she doesn't. Let's put the Lord first. It should be a common practice to keep the Lord first in all of our existence. Married, single, divorced, whatever. But it really does have an effect because when you really put the Lord first, you're going the same way. And having similar priorities. It's huge. And a lot of people say, well, opposites attract. And there may be some characteristics that we like in other people that are not the same in our own lives. But not everything can be opposite. Because it will create friction. If ideas, purposes are totally different, you're going this way, the other one's going this way, there's going to be pulling. It's going to create something. And so that's why one of the first things that a person needs to do if you're going to have a successful marriage, and I'm talking from a Christian standpoint, is to put the Lord first. If you have two unsaved people and you get one of them saved uh, and uh, get them walking with the Lord, it may produce some friction. Side thought, if you're single and serving the Lord, don't get in that because you will automatically, no matter how cute he is, you're asking for trouble. 
Because the more you want to go for it with the Lord, and He doesn't want to, friction. Okay, we'll, we won't say that. But it's the truth. And, and when the Lord is the priority of anybody's life, there's a trickle-down effect. Because you're going to look how to please Him. You with me? No. Single, married, Martian, doesn't matter. If the Lord is first, some you guys have seen Men in Black, right? We don't know. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but really, there it becomes a trickle-down effect. And it works better as a believer when he's first. So when we talk about opposites attracting... There may be some things, but there really needs to be some unification, some purpose that's the same. Are you with? And one way you're going to get that is when you have the Lord first. The second thing is this, in marriage is, and this is in marriage, you have to be careful about not doing this when you're not in marriage or don't know that this person is the right person, is place great value on your spouse. Now, we should put value on everybody because everybody's valuable to God. But when it comes to a relationship, uh, you need to foster value in the person you're married to. You have to. Because it's similar to putting the Lord first in that when the Lord is first and He has the greatest value in my life, I'm going to do certain things for Him and forget you because Him. He's my priority. But because He's my priority when you come into marriage, He has design and order. So you want to put great value on your spouse. Because when you put value on something, it drives how you treat them. You could just stop and think about that. You could preach your own sermon in your own mind. How I treat somebody or how somebody is valuable will determine how you treat them. And we need to put a priority on who you're with. Think about the value God put on mankind that he valued mankind even when mankind was not in a perfected state. Think of it. Talk about rough edges. Mankind. And here God is, and He uh, so values humanity and loves them so much that He gives His only Son. That was a big thing. Knowing what was going to happen, knowing that these people, some of them would reject Him. You know, you ever hear people say, yeah, but he doesn't or she doesn't always do this right. No, and neither have we when it comes to God. But he still extended his love. And we should look at things, and when you hang out with God and he's your priority, and you start recognizing, man, he's extended a lot of love to me and a lot of mercy to me, it will change how you deal with other people. 
if you really don't see how he has really dealt graciously to you or to me, then we don't always treat people real gracious because we think, what's their problem? Why don't they have it all down? Not knowing if God could shine the light on our lives, we'd go, whoops. You know, Jesus came to the earth for, for different purposes, but one, it said, after he died and rose again, he is a high priest in heaven. He represents us to God. And one of the reasons he came to earth is so the Bible said, so he could be touched with the feelings of our weaknesses. So he could identify with what we go through. Are you with me? So he could go, man, I see they're being tempted and he's merciful. But he never sinned. Never did wrong. Never failed. But he went through all the pressures and so he could identify us with us when we're struggling. Listen, we need to identify we do face things. And in a relationship, your spouse will face things. You should approach them with mercy. Knowing, yeah, I've been in a tough time. I've gone through different things. And I know what it is to submit to the Lord. I know what it is to do this. And we want to be more of a help than a, what is your problem? Thank you. I'm talking about Christians here, right? People who are believers. And so we need to make sure we put a priority on the other person and recognize the way God identifies with us is he became like us. He went through things we went through. We need to not forget that we're not perfect people, but we are growing with God. And people that we engage in a relationship with or are married to, they're working on it too, or they should be. You okay? Everybody okay? So here's something important that will help people to cleave is focus on the good. Even if you feel like in your own life you've got areas you've got to deal with and you're in the relationship, uh, focus on the good. Don't ignore the fact that you have areas that you could develop, but you don't want to get so thinking, I'm a disaster. But you do want to focus on the good. Turn to 1 Peter 3. Because this is a picture of how things can be good. God wants you to love life. God wants you and me to see good days. And that would include a relationship. 1 Peter, the third chapter... And even though we're going to begin reading in the 8th verse, if, uh, if you read the context, he's talking about husbands and wives dwelling together, living together. But these are some principles we can all live by, but there's no doubt he's talking about husbands and wives. And here's something, if you're one, you want to treat your spouse good because you're benefiting yourself. And you want to work on yourself because it will help benefit your relationship, which would help benefit you. Everybody okay? Notice this, 1 Peter, 
3, verse 8. It says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion or mercy, love for one another. Love as brothers. Now, in the Greek, there are different words for love. So when he uses the word love as brothers, it's the word phileo, which we get Philadelphia. You know the big city or Philadelphia cream cheese? Okay, maybe not the cream cheese. But it's from Philadelphia. You know, when people talk about the city of Philadelphia. And what do they call the city of Philadelphia? The city of brotherly hate. No, the city of brotherly love. Because it actually comes from the word phileo, which means brotherly love. Which is different than eros, which is a, is a passionate love. And then there's another type of love that's mentioned in the Bible called agape, which literally means the God kind of love. Well, when he said love is brothers, he's talking about a, 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 this phileo or brotherly love. You know, and sometimes you can't judge how you and your brother were or sister growing up. You're like, cool, we can fight. You know, we can punch each other. No, that's not the phileo, Philadelphia, this kind of love. This is a, a genuine bonded love where you're looking out for the other. You know, I mean, even people who have issues with a brother and sister, when it comes down to it, they got your back. And when he talks about this brotherly love... He's talking about a certain type of love one for another. And he says, be tender-hearted. Well, we don't use words like that. You would say this, don't get an ill will. Don't be ill-willed where you're like, ugh, toward them. But be courteous. courteous you know be kind show consideration to the other now we can do this to other people but in this relationship be courteous not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling or wrong actions for wrong actions how if we are not careful can we return evil for evil or wrong action for a wrong action? That would be exactly what the enemy would want people to do. Because if he knows he can get people escalating it back and forth, there's a multiplication because you're doing it within one. And it's just creating something. And so when he talks about this here, and he talks about not returning wrong action for wrong action... He's talking about being courteous. Being kind. Not returning wrong words for wrong words. That is a practice because sometimes when somebody says a wrong word, you spit on me. Okay, I'm not going to spit back at you. But you know what I mean. 
anybody ever felt like they did that to me? I'm doing this back to you. And he said, you got to go, whoa. Whoa. But it is, if we're not careful, easy to, if they spit on me, I'm going to spit on them. If they throw a rock at me, I'm going to throw a rock at them. And he said, don't do that. Don't return wrong words. And I'll tell you what, you know, when the Bible talks about bridling a horse, you know, and if you can turn the little bit in a horse's mouth, you can turn the whole body of a horse. And he said the tongue is the same way. If you can control your tongue, you can control your whole life. But I'll tell you what, you're turning a big horse, and you might be that big horse. And you're having to hold back your mouth from returning a wrong word. Nobody ever had to. Just think about your neighbors then. Don't think about you. No, we all in life, we're going to have to control our tongue. And he said, it's like putting a bit in a horse's mouth. Well, the horse has some power and you're going to have to pull sometimes back and not let certain things come out. Why would this be important to God? Because it's part of his design. It's part of his design. Notice, not returning evil action for evil action, or reviling or wrong words for wrong words, but on the contrary, blessing. What? Say what? Nuh-uh, they did bad to me. No, he said, return good. Knowing that you were called to this, you were called to this. Some people wonder about their calling. Part of it's connected in your relationship and relationships. And part of it is when the urge is to return harshness for harshness. No. I'm going to be a forgiver. Notice you were called to this that you may inherit a blessing. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, some insignificant something. It basically tells you to how to be blessed. And some people are like, yeah, but they can't do that to me. Do you want the blessing? Do you want a blessing? You guys deciding? <laughs> well, you know, I'm thinking about it. No, that's what we want. He said, notice that you may inherit a blessing for he who would love life and see good days. That is the blessing. Loving life, seeing good days. Well, when your marriage is tore apart, that's not loving life. That's not seeing good days. When there's friction, that's, and, and other things, that's not loving life and seeing good days. Let him, notice if you, he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. Well, he just got done saying that. Hold back your words and your lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. That's just what he got done saying. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers.
But the face of the Lord is against those who practice these evil practices. You know, it's real interesting, and I wasn't going to read it. But let's go back to verse 7. You serve yourself well to treat your spouse well. You serve yourself well to serve others and, and treat others well. Husbands, likewise dwell with them, that means the woman, the wife, with understanding. That means you don't want to be blind going into a relationship. You want understanding. You need to understand how a woman is. Somebody said you can't. <laughs> well, there's some understanding, right? Somebody said that's impossible. You know, but no, there is a possibility of having some understanding. Because he said, dwell with them with understanding. Not that you understand everything. We don't want to be deceived. But giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. That, that should not be something you talk to your wife about. You're just weak. That's not what he means. It's just from a physical stature, women are different than men. Notice this, and being heirs together of the grace of life. So you need understanding. Some of the understanding is how we treat one another. And in this, he said, we're heirs of the grace of life. He's talking about a husband and wife. He said, notice this, that your prayers may not be hindered. You mean how people treat a husband and wife can hinder their prayers? No wonder he went on to explain loving life, seeing good days. And then at the very end, he said uh, how we treat one another. He said the eyes of the Lord are on a certain group of people, but his face is against a certain group that act a wrong way. See, marriage, when you're pulling it apart, there's not grace in that. But there's much grace and God will help you if you're struggling. I mean, I've seen bad marriages become good. I've seen marriages that look like, whoops, that's probably not going to be lasting. Turn to be good. But I am saying that it does take work and it takes human cooperation. If you're single and you're looking to get married, work on these things. Work on them. Work on learning to hold back words. Not hold backwards, hold back words. <laughs> Learn to not return evil for evil. This is a good practice. If you're in the middle of a marriage, I almost said a boxing match. If you're in the middle of a marriage, put this into practice. If we have not practiced this, it'll be extra work. But it can be done. And God's blessing is for good, strong marriages. So you may have to work at this, but he does care. And if you're looking to get married, put the Lord first. Start putting these things into practice. Another thing is don't go date everybody. Hallelujah. Saved or not makes no difference, you know. I'm on a mission from God. I'm a missionary dater. I go out and date this person to win them to the Lord. 
they call that missionary dating. No, we're not called to do that. Don't allow your emotions to get hooked up to somebody who's not going the same direction because when your emotions get hooked up, it'll start pulling you that way. And, it, and if they're not going the way of the Lord, then it's already pulling you away from the Lord. And here's a thought. Why marry somebody who doesn't know the Lord who will die and go to hell and you will invest your love into them while you're on the earth for 30, 50, 60, however many years you're together to spend eternity separated from them. That would be brutal. That would be brutal. I'm going to give my love to this person who doesn't love the Lord. Then they're, And maybe they're a good person. Maybe they're a, an admirable person in certain ways, but... They don't know the Lord. They're not saved. So I'm going to invest my love in them uh, only to see them die at the end of the day. You know, at the end of life, they'll be separated from me for eternity or from you or whoever's single for eternity. That would be hardcore. Could you imagine? Billions of years, trillions of years past, the person you lived with on the earth and no condemnation for somebody who is married to somebody who's not serving the Lord. That's not what I'm trying to get across. I'm trying to say that if you're going into marriage or thinking, hey, I want to get married, you need to look at these things. The Bible gives and addresses this type of thing. You want to go in with an advantage to marriage, not a disadvantage. Especially in the day and age we live where the purposes of God are of such great value and we don't have time to fool around, it's important. Somebody said, well, are these the last days? They're your last days. <laughs> if you're not sure, they're your last days. They're your only days. Somebody said, you think the Lord's going to come soon? Well, whether he does or doesn't, you're going to leave soon. Life is short. Somebody said, well, I plan on living to 100. Well, that's short. Compared to eternity, it's really short. And so I don't say these things to want anybody to feel condemned, but to recognize, man, it's important and God cares about your marriage. Amen? And then God cares about who you're going to marry if you're not married. I mean, if, if he's not or she's not going for it with the Lord, don't, don't think that when you get married, they're just going to switch. Oh, I'm, gonna, I'm going to. I'm telling you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to serve the Lord. Now, if they're not now, you can't depend on them to serve him once you get married. If they won't make that a priority now, you can't go that way. You should not go that way. Anybody who has, has found themselves hurting. Maybe not in ways they think, but if it draws you from the Lord, that hurts. Well, hallelujah. So here's something you need to do. If you're single, don't consider somebody who's not going for it with the Lord. 
Matter of fact, the Lord talks about people who had been married and different things in 1 Corinthians 7. And he said, you know, where different cases and causes for divorce. He said that those people can marry, but he said they can only marry in the Lord. In other words, you can't go, well, I'm out of a relationship. There's somebody and they're not running fast enough. I can catch them. No. Only in the Lord. Amen. And then those who are married, don't add too much to your relationship that is not God. Meaning ideas. And that may not make sense, but sometimes people get all kinds of ideas and they weigh their relationship down like, he doesn't get me flowers every week. You should be more thankful if you ever get flowers than he's got to get you flowers every week. I'm not opposed to somebody giving flowers every week. But some people make their relationship hinge on that and it's not in the Bible. The Lord did not say you are required to give flowers every week. But if your spouse likes flowers, pull some out of the yard. No, I'm kidding. I'm cool with giving flowers. But what happens is some people make requirements to a good relationship, which are not requirements. And instead of enjoying that and thinking, wow, he did this, they're like, how come he didn't do this? Well, hallelujah. It's all good anyway, and it's the Word of God. And so we just need to be careful, you know, because when relationships, I've, I've, I'm going to say this, I've had people go to marriage conferences, and then they spend sessions on communication. This is the truth. And they spend sessions, you know, how you're supposed to communicate, how you're supposed to talk to your spouse, how you're to do this. And I've met people who have been married 20 years, had a good relationship, and all of a sudden, the one spouse starts looking at the other and going, they don't communicate with me. And they start having problems. Have you ever seen that couple at the, you know, they're, they've been married 50 years, they go to a restaurant and they don't talk? Anybody ever seen that? Somebody said, that was us. So you're talking about me? No. And they don't, they don't talk while they eat. They get up and leave and you talk to them and they're like, we have a great relationship. You can't. Because you didn't communicate while you were eating. No, it works for them. I'm not saying we shouldn't communicate. I'm just saying sometimes people put pressure on themselves that's not or should not be there. 